everyone, and welcome to episode 162 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and I'm joined, like usual, by Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. How's it going today, Richard? Hey, Seth, what's going on? Uh, not much. We've had a pretty exciting week since we last had the podcast. The big news of the week was... The spoiler, the complete spoiler, all in one week, of Masters 25. We also have some tournament news with the mocks going on this past weekend, and some fish mail, so we got a lot to cover today, but I think we're going to start off with Masters 25, probably the biggest news of the week. So, Richard, now that we have the full set, I think we had, what, a handful of cards that were from the Pro Tour and on Monday last week, but now that we have the full set, what is your initial reaction to Masters 25? All right. First, let's summarize the cards. I guess I guess we'll just go over all the mythics and some of the the chase rares so that everyone knows uh, what's up. So we have Acroma, Angel of Wrath, uh, Armageddon, Chase the Mind Sculptor, Vendillion Click, Doomsday, Phyrexian Obliterator, Acroma, Angel of Fury, uh, Imperial Recruiter, Master of the Wild Hunt, Tree of Redemption, <laughs> Chalice of the Void, Ensnaring Bridge, Animar. Uh, Gisela, Blade of Gold Knight, Prosh. That's all your mythics. And for chase rares, we have, I guess, Filterlands, uh, Thalia, Guardian of Thraben, Art, our, our spoiler, Blood Moon, Eidolon the Great Revel, Azusa, uh, Pact of Negation? Is yeah, that? That's, I think, the, it that's was, pretty much everything. Yeah. I mean,. Ah, I don't know. I don't know. Your your list of chase cards was not the most exciting list. I guess filter lands. I don't know if you... I don't think you mentioned those. Those are like sort of chase cards, but... Tree of Redemption, Seth. At Mythic. (laughs) I I don't understand. I don't understand what Wizards was thinking with this one. So this isn't to like frown on the set. If you look at the entire set right now... I have run some, like, quick EV numbers. It looks to be about MSRP at the moment, but there's so many, like, unexciting cards. There's so many weird choices, so I don't know. My overall perception of the set is that it's kind of mediocre. What do you think, Richard? So, I actually think this is one of the best Magic sets of all time, if you ignore the MSRP. Uh, If I had to name this set, I would have called it Iconic Masters. (laughs) (laughs) It's... It's like every every important card in Magic's history or something is like somehow in here. Like uh, not just like the the rares, but even like the uncommons and the commons. Like so many of these cards are kind of mediocre by today's standards, but uh, so iconic in their time. Cards like you know Ball Lightning, uh, all these random four mana five fives that I didn't know existed. Like <laughs> there's just so many cards that. You know, if you played 10 years ago, if you played 15 years ago, you're like, oh, I remember this card. It, it was, you know, it was the uh, Torrential Gear Hulk. It was the Scare of God of our time. And now they're back and they're kind of just mediocre uncommons. So I, I really like the set from that perspective. If this was a core set, it would be awesome. But it's a $10 per pack set. So that kind of makes me a little sad. But I, I do like the actual cards in the set. Uh, we talked about this before, but the watermarks are super cool. And uh, it'll be a blast to draft, you know, once, which is all that most people can afford. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, zero times. But the set itself is really cool, and 
I, I think this is actually Iconic Masters. It's, it really is like kind of the best cards from uh, the 25 years of Magic. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of in the same place. I have some concerns with the value aspect of it, but I do think this is one of my favorite master sets, just for, like, nostalgia and the cards that are in it is really sweet. In general, we can always quibble about some of the choices, like Tree of Redemption, seriously. Also, there's some weird exclusions that don't even, like, take up much spot. Like, you have... Armageddon at Mythic, why not just have Urnumjin as, like, a random uncommon? There's a ton of cycling cards, but no Astral Slide, which was a really iconic deck back in its day, so there's a few little things like that, but in general, it does really hit a lot of the greatest hits of Magic's history from a gameplay perspective, not necessarily from a value perspective, but I think that's where the set stumbles. Like, I think that if this set was cheaper, and Wizards wants to make these really cool theme sets, that I think they really do have to consider bringing down the MSRP, because I think that's where the problem comes. Like, you can make this super flavorful, nostalgic set, but how many people can afford to pay $10 a draft, especially if the EV is kind of lacking, to actually experience that set? Like, if you had this at $4, it would be absurd. Even if it was $7, like the original Modern Masters, I think that people would get a lot more joy out of actually being able to play this really cool set compared to where it is now. So I think that's, to me, that's the biggest failing of the set, is it looks really sweet, but people aren't going to be able to play it that much because of the price tag. Well, you did, you did, you looked at the EV. What do you think? Is this a high variance set where it's boom or bust, you open... 10 packs get nothing, but it's your 11th pack that brings back all the value, or are you getting consistent value out of the, I guess, rare and uncommon slots? So there's kind of good news, bad news. Like, the EV in general right now is not bad. It's close to MSRP from my just, like, early quick look at the numbers. So in an absolute sense, that's not bad. It is going to be very high variance because... The Mythics especially are extremely boom and bust. You either get lucky and get like a 70 or even $100 Mythic, or you get like a $2 Acroma, which still they're flavor flavorful cards, so you can't really complain too much about Acromas, but still, from a value perspective, it's not really there. The one saving grace at this point is it has a really solid group of uncommons. There's actually a decent amount of value there, and that helps make the value more consistent. The question is, the set doesn't even release for another 11 days, I believe, and then who knows a month after that, like how much value will the set actually have when people start playing with it? I know if you look back at Iconic Masters, when I did the EV breakdown like a week before the set released, the EV was almost MSRP. It was like $220 a box or something, but now the EV is like $106 or something. So are we going to have that again? And that's my biggest concern with the set. Outside of just like, there's going to be some really bad opens. It's definitely possible that you go play a draft, you don't open a good mythic, you don't open one of the limited number of valuable rares, and you're going to spend 40 bucks, 45 bucks, and get like $5 of value. The other concern is how much are the prices, especially of the good uncommons going to come down? Do we find ourselves in another Iconic Master situation where the EV looks okay right now, but a month from now, you just can't really afford to crack packs because the EV is so bad? Right. What about some of these expensive cards that are a little questionable? Like maybe (laughs) Imperial Recruiter, 
maybe Filterlands, may maybe the cards that, or Phyrexian Obliterator, kind of cards that are artificially expensive because uh, they're just there's just not that many of them. They were printed in a time where we didn't make that many magic cards. Yeah, those are one of the biggest reasons to think that the EV is going to come down a lot and prices are going to come down a lot because while Imperial Recruiter was $200 card heading into Masters 25, it's not really a $200 card based on how much demand there is for Imperial Recruiter, especially I was thinking like Legacy, you play it with Painter Servant, but someone pointed out that with Top being banned, Painter Servant is like not even really a thing anymore, which makes it a lot less likely that there's even Legacy demand. Not that Legacy demand is really a huge price driver anyway, but I think that's that we're seeing a shift with these master sets and it was easy for Wizards to make high EV master sets when they were just printing modern staples again and again. Like, you can throw Tarmogoy, Fuliana, and Fetchlands in a master set along with, like, 240 random cards. The EV is going to be good. There's so much demand for those cards because modern's so popular. You need them for Legacy and Commander. But this set has a lot of cards that are expensive, but they're kind of expensive just because there were so few in existence, which is going to mean prices are going to come down a lot. So I expect, like, Jace will maintain value you uh Vendillion click assuming there's no weird modern changes and snaring bridge chalice of the void those are in demand but filter lands even stuff like animar like that's a very popular commander but it was so low supply because it was old school commander decks this is going to increase the supply by magnitudes so the prices are going to come down a lot for a lot of those cards and that's why the long-term ev is such a i think a concern so uh speaking speaking of expensive cards what about the cards that people thought would be here that kind of dodged it uh liliana the veil comes to mind maybe maybe karn liberated uh these cards are going nuts like what, is, what does this mean and what when will the madness stop seth when when can you actually afford a play set of liliana's now oh geez that's a really good question there was a reddit post that was actually really well done i know reddit can be hit or miss sometimes but it was about like who the set was good for and who the set was bad for because it is good for some groups of players but one of the biggest losers as far as groups of players that they pointed out was modern players because this set apart from jace and maybe seeing the full set maybe it lends some amount of credence to the idea that wizards like panic mode unban jace because i couldn't imagine the feedback like with people already kind of complaining about the set could you imagine if jace was a 30 dollar card that wasn't legal in any format <laughs> the, it would have been even worse but uh but yeah i think that there just wasn't the modern staples and that's a big question moving forward wizards mentioned moving away from modern masters towards these like themed masters iconic masters 25th masters who knows what the next one will be so does that mean they're just not doing modern masters anymore or does it mean they're going to do it every other year every few years of modern masters will slip in and i think we don't know right now but that is definitely one of the big downsides from a player's perspective is the cards that get cheaper from masters 25 aren't necessarily the cards you need if you want to get into modern for the first time so we always used to talk about like uh, modern masters is like a sale on these modern staples this gives players a window if you're waiting and thinking about getting into the format that's your chance for like six months you can get your deck at like half price because of the reprints and masters 25 and iconic masters really too to some extent just didn't have enough 
modern staples to really make that possible. So I don't know what you do. Like, maybe we have another master set this fall that we haven't heard about. It's possible that Wizards are just going to keep pumping them out. Maybe there'll be modern masters a year from now. But if not, it is going to make modern more expensive over the short term. Like, sure, Imperial Recruiter is cheaper, but that's not the same as Karn Liberated or Liliana being cheaper when it comes to people actually wanting to play Magic. Yeah, I was like, oh, Chalice is cheap. I can play Tron. Oh, nope. Sorry. Card says no. <laughs> I will say, I mean, if you're looking for a deck to buy in on, and actually the the Brewers Minute video for this week talks about uh, the seven decks from various formats that actually do benefit a lot from this, but I'm pretty happy because Free Win Red is like budget deck now. Ensnaring Bridge, Chalice of the Void, Simeon Spirit Guide, uh, Blood Moon, basically every expensive card in Free Win Red got reprinted in the... It's, it's such a weird collection because if you are going to try to buy a modern deck based on these cards, cards in trying to get like a discount you're kind of buying like prison you're buying like lantern control or some deck that people absolutely don't want to see more of because it's miserable to play against but those are the those are the decks that actually get cheaper is like hey i'm gonna jank you out with blood moon and ensnaring bridge have fun opponent <laughs> next week mountain will be a ten dollar card i mean <laughs> I will say, and we kind of touched on this before, but the one thing that I really like about the set is it is going to be really nice. Like, a lot of the uncommons are heavily played. Even stuff like Ancient Stirrings, Utopia Sprawl, the Ash Barons for Pauper is a big deal, Simeon Spirit Guide. There's a lot of staples, and being an uncommon is going to really drive down the price, and it was pretty annoying. Like, Utopia Sprawl is a big one. We play a ton of Utopia Sprawl decks. And it was like 25 bucks or something for a playset. So having, like, that is a real discount. It's not a huge discount. It's not like getting your Liliana's for 50 bucks or something instead of 100 bucks, but getting your playset of Utopia Sprawl for 10 bucks instead of 30 bucks or 25 bucks. All, every little bit adds up. So I guess that part of it is nice. But yeah, I'm a little disappointed from the perspective of actually, like, making formats more accessible as far as this set's concerned. I don't know. Are you going to open any of this, Richard? Like, uh, you don't really open too many boxes. Like, are you going to draft it? Are you going to Are you going to show up to the pre-release or the release events? Or uh, maybe maybe one one release event. I I will not buy a box of this and open it. I I hate high variant sets. And the problem is, you stated like, what am I going to do with all these cards? You know, I'm going to have like one <laughs> Obliterator, one Imperial Recruiter, if I'm lucky. You know, that'd be like the good box. And I'm like. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> like, I can't even put them in my EDH decks because I don't play paper EDH. So, so, so I don't know. So what if it was $7? What if it was the same set but $7? Like, if is the EV what holds you back from drafting? Like, if you felt like, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose a few dollars maybe at the draft, maybe I'll open something sweet, would that encourage you to draft more compared to where we are right now with the prices? It's not so much EV. It's really just the the absolute cost like i don't feel like paying 30 dollars, 40 dollars to draft like you know if i even if i turn around and sell all my cards on ebay and somehow break even like that's a lot of work i i wish it was something you can pay 10 15 bucks go draft you know instead of watching a movie you go draft right and it doesn't matter what you open you don't have to sit there and awkwardly you know draft mono white and you're like phyrexian obliterator should i take it <laughs> <laughs> right like I, I don't want to be put in that situation i'm there to have fun so I'd I'd rather have phantom drafts, but we don't have phantom drafts in real in real life. So I, I, I just don't like master products. They're expensive. Like magic is already expensive enough. I don't I don't want to buy more cards or right? I just wanna draft some magic. It's funny that you mentioned that, because I think 
I forget because I I love the EV thing. I like the math aspect of it. Like that that's just like natural for me. I'm used to it from like buying collections and doing all that stuff. So it's just like I naturally think in that way, but I forget sometimes that that's not how most magic players think. Like the best example of this is how people love the arena model for digital magic and I constantly try to explain to people like hey if you spend 500 bucks on magic online you can resell that for 450 bucks so it's really not that expensive like you're looking at it wrong but that's not how people's brains work they see this absolute number like man it cost me 500 bucks to get a deck on magic online that's super expensive I'm not doing it and I think that's the same problem that master sets have is even if you're going to open $40 of cards from your master's set draft you're still thinking, man, 45 bucks, that is a lot of money for a three-hour draft experience when you can go and open $2 worth of cards in a $15 draft, which is actually a much worse deal financially than opening $40 out of your $45 draft. But people do that all the time because, oh, it's 15 bucks, that's like going to a movie. So I feel like there's this big perception issue with the absolute cost thing that Master Sets run into that you were talking about. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about some of the cards themselves. What are some of your favorite includes, and what are your unforgivable excludes in Masters 25? Man, that's actually, that's a really good question. So, obviously, I'm going to try to stay away from the EV part. Jay's Chalice, Ensnaring Bridge, those cards need to be there as far as just, like, the value of the set. But I think as far as the cards I'm most excited for, and I'm glad they included, there's actually a ton of them. I really like the kind of the focus on old combos. Like they put Flash and Hulk in the set. They have the Pickles Lock with Vesuvian Shapeshifter and Brine Elemental. So there's some really cool old combos that were a big deal back in the day that haven't been played in like 10 years because they're not good enough for Legacy or Modern or whatever. So it's really cool to see those cards in the set, I think are probably what I'm most excited for is that nostalgia stuff. As far as excludes, I think the big one for me is really Astral Slide. That's my number one miss because it just seems so good for limited. It only takes up like a common or uncommon slot. And it's just, it was iconic back in the day, but there's other ones. I mentioned the Urnum Jin thing missing. Uh, there's other just like, I can't believe that Tree of Redemption is like your most iconic <laughs> Innistrad inclusion. You got Snapcasters and Lilianas and even like Bloodline Keeper and Olivia. Like even if you don't want another high value mythic for some reason, there's cards that are much more like, I, at least were played and important in Innistrad standard, and Tree definitely was not. Like, I think we played on against the odds, but I don't think anyone played standard decks where Tree of Redemption was, like, the key card. So, uh, overall, though, I'm pretty happy with it from the perspective of there's a lot of cards I like in the set. They might not be worth anything, but I do like a huge number of cards in the set. What about you? What, do you, what are you most excited for, Richard, and what are your biggest misses? I, I like the original cycle of, I guess, one mana spells, like Dark Ritual, uh, Giant Growth, Brainstorm. Uh, Brainstorm should be Ancestral, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, that, that cycle is pretty cool. Uh, I think some of the old creatures were lacking, like a Sarah Angel, Air Elemental. Uh, these are really easy creatures to slot in because you can just slot them in as uncommon or common. Uh, Shivan Dragon, Craw Worm. Like what? What happened to like my old beaters? Uh, but we do have some some cool cards. Like Watch Wolf is here. Uh, I think un one unforgivable thing is Ravenous Chuka Chuka 
I think they just put it in there to make you say it on the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, why? Like, just put Necrotol in, right? Like, why? Why is Troops here? So that that's a little awkward. That's a good. What do you think of the? We have to have cards from every set restriction they put on themselves. Do you think this set would have been stronger if they maybe left out more modern sets and were like, eh, if it's been printed in the last like three years, like we're gonna exclude those from having to have a card in the set or like weird stuff like starter and plane chase and do you think that was too much of a restriction or do you think that made it a better set because it forced them to put in uh like that random old shade from homelands and stuff that you might not see without the restriction yeah i don't know why isan's shade is there it, it should have been baron singer or Autumn but it's it's weird like i i like it because it's thematic it's 25 years of magic history that's cool right but i also would have liked to see more old cards like uh more arabian knights cards more homelands like how cool would it have been if they brought back you know, Thalids or something and made that an actual, like, archetype in the draft format. But they can't because they can only include, like, a handful of cards from, from that block. So, I don't know. It's it's cool in one sense, but also it would have been cooler to see more old cards, but I just like old cards, so so I don't know. That's just me. I don't know. Like, new players will be like, oh, what, what is all this garbage? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> give me choops give me goops, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want these other cards, right? So I'm not sure. But... But I don't know. And the other thing I don't like is the new art. Uh, they don't feel the same. I, I, I want some of the old art or the old cards. I know they can't do it, but they should have, like, redid that art or something, like the, the same theme or something in today's style. Or, you know, have a throwback in the art instead of just having brand new art altogether. But, ah. They probably could have done something with the borders, too. It would have been cool to see, like, white border or original, like, old school borders or even, like, a mixture. Like, I know the watermark kind of does this, but if... I don't know how practical it is, but, like, the you have the border of the set the card was originally printed with, even if it had new art, so it looked like, looked like the original set, but somewhat updated. You know what I would kill for? The original tap symbol. Ooh, or yep. I guess... The, the, the tap symbol of the set the card came from. That would be that sweet. Would be so, but then people would be so they're like, "What is what is this symbol?" <laughs> like, <laughs> they'd be so confused. Like they can't do it for rules reasons, or if they printed the oracle text like the original way they did it. Uh, you know, it's so like goblin war drums with menace. Like that looks so weird. <laughs> yeah, that that would be cool if they did like the old school uh, original text on the cards too. I think an underrated concern I have for this set that I haven't heard too many people talking about is I'm a little worried about limited. Like, I think it'll be fun in a there's a lot of cool cards to open and play uh, sense, but I think past master sets, especially the best master sets for limited, Modern Masters 1, uh, Modern Masters 2 even, Modern Masters 3, they have really strong themes. Uh, in this set kind of just feels, probably because of the we need stuff from each set restriction, but it kind of just feels like a bunch of good cards. Like, I don't see limited archetypes in there. There's like, I don't know, some small synergies. Like, maybe you open both halves to the combo of Flash and Hulk or something. But it's not like past Master sets where there were, like, really clear uh, tribes, themes that kind of pushed you in a direction. So it's going to be interesting to see how this set works in Limited because it seems much less focused than some of the previous Master sets. Yeah, that's none of my concern, Seth. I'm going to open a bad <laughs> pool, scrub out, and then never play the set again. <laughs>
But maybe you'll open open a tree of redemption. <laughs> you like Innistrad. I like yeah. When I think Innistrad, I think boy. Remember remember those. You know, if only they had like Doran or Assault Formation, this could be excusable. But they don't. It's just Tree of Redemption. Just like yeah, that that's your mythic. Congratulations, you have a good blocker. <laughs> so, can you think of any? Like, what was Wizards thinking? Well, I, I have been searching through my brain for the past few days since this was spoiled. What is the possible reason Wizards would put Tree of Redemption in the well, mythic they're like, slot? Uh, Snapcaster Mage? Sorry. Liliana the Veil? Sorry. Well, <laughs> I guess we're on Tree of Redemption now. <laughs> I guess Jace is, the, Jace is the kind of the, the leading role of this set. If they put Lily in, Lily would be there. So they, they couldn't do that. So I guess Tree of Redemption. They, they needed a green mythic, they needed a Innistrad card, and they figured Essence of the Wild was just a little bit too bad, so... <laughs> I mean, like, Master of the Wild Hunt is there... I actually like Master of the Wild Hunt. Like, I don't know why I like that card, but I... For some reason, I really like that card. I think it's the beard. It's got one of the better beards. <laughs> <laughs> it's... I think, if anything, Commander players would love this set. It's just, like, these weird one-ofs that are... Just strange, and there's actually a, co- a bunch of like uncommon legendaries in this set as well, so that's that's pretty interesting. But it's just like a weird collection of cards, and commander players, I think, can make the best use of this. Yeah, I think that commander is probably probably the people that benefit the most. Also, maybe like I guess port is a pretty big deal if anyone is actually trying to get into legacy these days, but it does make death and taxes like a more legitimate budget option for starting off in legacy. I don't know like how many people there are that are trying to get in legacy because there's just not a ton of support for the format. But if you are one of those people, cheaper Thalia's, cheaper ports, Wasteland was reprinted not that long ago. Cavern was reprinted not that long ago. Horizon Canopy. A lot of that deck has been reprinted in the not too distant past. Uh, Yes, but Aether Vile, Seth, Aether Vile. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Humans has ruined everything. Uh, yes, no Aether Vials, and really not that much modern stuff at all, which we talked about before, so, uh, I don't know. I'm gonna be, I, I'm excited to draft it on Magic Online. Magic Online has one huge benefit, and that is, you can play Phantom, so you pay ten bucks, you go two and one, you get your money back, like, you don't have to worry about the EV considerations, so I wish there was some way they could do that in paper, because I think people would draft it a ton if it wasn't for the for the huge cause. <laughs> so the end of the draft, you just pack up your, your packs again and then reseal yeah. them and give it to the next group. <laughs> yes, yes. I promise uh, you I didn't take the mythics out and replace them with rares. I promise. Jace is in here. <laughs> uh, so any any final thoughts on Masters 25, Richard, before we uh, move forward? Uh, no, but I'm interested to draft it once and then never touch it again we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes <laughs> I, I i don't know this is kind of their first master set since they uh described their new paradigm which is we're going with themes uh, i don't know what that means for the future i guess we'll see and uh, I, this is the also the follow-up to are they going to sell so many of these that no one wants them anymore 
uh, debacle that was Iconic Masters. I guess we're going to find that out as well. Yeah, I, I have no idea where they go forward with themes. I'm afraid that it's going to be the next Masterpieces, where they're like, eh, we're going to do this really cool Masterpiece theme, and then like a year and a half later, they're like, eh, we realize now that there's only like six themes we could do for Masterpiece sets, so we're going to stop doing Masterpieces every set. So, like, how many different themes can you possibly have that fit the Masters <laughs> the Masters set, $10 back model? I have no that, idea. That should be the great designer search. You're like an intern, you're given a list of the 20 expensive cards you need to reprint, and you gotta come up with a theme that unifies all of them so that they can actually put them in the same set. <laughs> oh, it's gonna that's... be like uh, red art looking down. <laughs> like, that's what it's gonna be. <laughs> Oh, uh, well, apart from Masters 25, had a little bit of tournament action. Actually, I guess the, the Mox is mostly of note because it is the first high-level modern tournament since the unbannings of Jason Mind Sculptor in Bloodbraid Elf. So, Richard, did you keep up on the Mox? Uh, Mox is Magic Online Championship, by the way. Did you keep up on the Mox over the weekend at all? Nope. <laughs> and it's a very poor name because I thought it was the actual mock. You know how they have like the monthly mocks tournaments? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was like the in-person, you sit it with your laptop, you know, at the tables box. So I didn't follow it until uh, this morning when I found out it was like the real mocks, you know, the actual paper tournament. So uh, what are your, th- I-, I did watch some of it. I was torn uh, between I watched some of the mocks and I was also watching some of the SCG event. They had a legacy SCG that had uh, Cedric and Pedrick Sullivan doing commentary. So I was torn between wanting to see modern with the new format and wanting to not have Wizards coverage and want, wanting to listen to Cedric and Pedrick Sullivan. So I watched a little bit of both. But uh, what is your take on this tournament, which we should say it's a weird one. It's like Worlds, where it's a very limited field, uh, supposed to be 24 players, ended up being 23 because someone couldn't physically make it to the event. Uh, so 23 players, modern and limited, so kind of like Worlds, really weird meta, lots of jund, lots of boggles for some reason, but what are what are your takes, Richard? Yeah, it's not what I would have expected. Not too much Jace, a lot of jund. And, and then Boggles. Like, if you're expecting a lot of Jund, I don't see why you would bring Boggles, <laughs> but apparently that, that was like the, the next level play. So it's weird. I don't know if we can take anything away from this. I mean, Reed Duke is playing Jund. That must mean Jund is good, right? I, I, I don't know, because he was on the Abzan train earlier. So I don't know. It's just a weird tournament. Not a lot of Tron. Uh, not a lot of unfair decks it seems like it's just aggro decks and jund and some people trying to play control yeah it is really hard to say much about the modern meta based off this tournament because everyone knows going into it you're fighting against this very limited feel uh field you probably know to some extent what other people are playing or at least have an idea what other people are playing because they're all your friends and other pros or a lot of them are so it leads to some weird situations where boggles is like a weirdly high percentage of the meta and jund is like a really big percentage of the meta i mean i guess if you want to take away anything it's that a lot more of the pros built Bloodbraid Elf decks and built Jace decks. Like, if you're looking at the two unbanned cards, those are the two... Like, that's basically how it broke down. There was also a lot of decks that 
basically were trying to go under the field. The decks that were not Blood Raider J stacks were like Boggles, Hollow One. I think there was a Burn deck in there. So we're kind of like built to win the game quickly. We didn't see any big mana decks. The only control decks, I believe, were J stacks. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. We have the first SCG event featuring Unbanned Modern next week. So that'll probably give us a little bit more big picture idea of what the format looks like. But I don't know. So far, based on Magic Online results and, like, SCG Classic results, the format doesn't look broken by Jace. It doesn't mean that it won't get there, but it it doesn't look that much different than what Modern looked like before the unbannings, with Jund being better than it was before and people trying Jace and Control decks. Yeah, it's weird that you don't see too many like unfair combo decks like you don't see like storm or anything like that or kind of the graveyard decks you don't see any of uh even humans kind of the breakout deck of the modern pro tour was not represented there so maybe it is just one of those cases of inbred metagame where we all know that everyone's playing this so we'll play that uh, it always seems that Boggles always shows up during Worlds or Box, like kind of these these limited pool of players. We're like, yeah, no one, no one expects this. Right? <laughs> no one will think I'm crazy enough to play Boggles. So you bring it out and it does well. So I'm not sure. So like you said, I think we gotta wait for the next big SCG event to kind of get a good grasp on where the meta game falls. I think it's funny with the Boggles uh, situation. I think that it's partly because most people don't like Boggles. And I think that carries over for a lot of pro players. It kind of has a reputation of, and I guess it's true, just doing one thing, being somewhat mindless as far as you just like play a hexproof thing you use all your mana every turn to put auras on it and hope for the best like that's probably an oversimplification but it's not a high it's not a deck with a lot of decision points and a lot of things you can do so maybe the the boggles at worlds and the mocks is people like taking advantage of people's bias against boggles (laughs) so i don't know it is is boggles a real deck now boggles won like the last tournament too like didn't it just win the the last scg tournament on top of this so is that where we're at is boggles like the new hot thing i can't it doesn't make any sense to me because you know people are going to be packing bloodbraid <laughs> elf decks and those come with liliana's and if, if you told me you were playing boggles i'd be like okay i'm gonna bring jund yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to counter it right like it doesn't seem to make any sense whatsoever but uh, maybe they're just good Boggles players and they know how to navigate the matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think Leyline in the main deck is a big deal. I think that's the innovation. If there's an innovation with these new Boggles decks, it's that four main deck Leylines is basically just the standard, and that definitely helps against uh, unfair combo decks, helps against the Liana making you sacrifice your stuff and other edict effects, but I don't know. Uh, I would hate to think that it's actually going to be everywhere because I hate playing against it. It's moving back up my rankings of the decks that I <laughs> dislike the most in it's modern. It's because you put it low on your power rankings and everyone's like, oh, okay, we're trying to break this out again, make Seth cry a little. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, one other innovation I guess we, we saw is Zoo is playing Bloodbraid Elf. A couple of decks uh, were Zoo and they were all packing Bloodbraid Elf. So apparently you can get to four mana when playing Zoo. Yeah, I think 
I think Bloodbraid Elf at this point has been the more impactful of the unbannings compared to Jace. I don't know if that'll stay over the future. I think it definitely remains to be seen. It's easier, I think, to build a Bloodbraid Elf deck, especially since you already had pre-Bloodbraid banning Jun deck, so you can just kind of like do the same thing as you used to do compared to building a Jace deck when Jace has never been in the format before and people are building from scratch. So we'll see over the long term, but at least for now, I think it's correct to be more scared of Bloodbraid than Jace. Anyway, uh, do we have anything else to talk about today, Richard, or are we heading to the fishmail world? Uh, no, let's head into fishmail. So if you have your questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. So first question from Chris Trency. So Seth, we know your favorite card in Modern is Blood Moon. Your favorite card in Standard is Panharmonicon. What is your favorite card in Commander? Oh, my favorite card in Commander. That's such a that's such a tough one. Pro- it might still just be Panharmonicon. <laughs> but if I got to choose a non-Panharmonicon card, it might be Paradox Engine. There's so many combos you can do with Paradox Engine. I don't play it much because it's so easy to combo off with that it almost feels unfair to everyone else, but it is it is really fun to play infinite Paradox Engine decks. I think I've cast more increasing ambitions <laughs> in my games than, like, the whole pool of Commander players combined. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question, Sinfoid. What do you guys think about an art reserve list? New rares mythics on the list can be reprinted, but only with new art, making... The card's more collectible and valuable without removing the ability to reprint game pieces. Uh, sure, I guess. I mean, I don't, yeah, I don't, I guess that's not a bad thing. I don't know if that's how much that really changes. Are they talking about new cards being added to this or like reserve list cards coming off the reserve list, but only with new art? No, I think just like anytime you reprint a card, you need to give it New art. An art that's different than the original art, so that that way the original one has, like, maintains its value as a collector's item. I think maybe that would just be really expensive, depending on... Maybe if you did it for, like, chase cards, it would be okay. But I don't think you can make new art for every card, every reprinting, with how much they reprint. Or maybe, like, once they make new art for a card, then you gotta stick with the new art. I don't... I, I don't know. I mean, I do. I was disappointed with Thoughtseize, like, reverting back to the original art in Iconic Masters, but I don't know if every reprint has to have brand new art. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't like Thoughtseize, given that there's new art, they somehow went back to the old art. I can understand them not wanting to make new art for everything, but I, I do like the idea that you keep the old art on certain cards to make them more exclusive. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, 69 rigs for 20. Do you think restricting cards uh, to one in standard as opposed to outright banning them would be a fair compromise? Well, to fix the format and not damage consumer confidence. So, restricted. We've talked about this a little bit before. The big downsides are it adds a lot of complexity and it adds a lot of variance. Like, we see this in vintage, and maybe you can't do it to the same extent with standard and the card pool, but if you only have one copy of Felidaire Guardian, then you just play a bunch of tutors to find your one copy and and win the game that way. So I don't know if it actually works out in practice as good as it sounds in theory. Yeah. 
and I, I just don't like the complexity of it. Like, you need to remember what cards you can have one of. What if your opponent is cheating and they put, like, four of them in their deck and you only see one during the game? Like, it's it's just a, a can of worms. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess they can do that today. They can put six lightning bolts in their deck. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Uh, SSJ, Goomba, Seth, does your love of Blood Moon and Ponza come from your hate of Tron? Or have you always been that one kid on the playground with two Armageddons in his deck? <laughs> I actually, I think it comes from when I first started playing Magic. I, I think I've told this story before, but played really casually, and this new player started uh, playing with our casual playgroup, and they were the person that had, like, uh, Scepter Chant, and they had Stasis, and, like, all these miserable decks. So some of my earliest Magic <laughs> experiences were getting locked out of games, and at first it was just super frustrating, and then I realized, oh, maybe I should just, like, do this to other people, because I bet it feels great when you're, like, on that side of the table. So I think that in my formative Magic years, I just acquire the taste for it <laughs> you gotta you gotta break in new magic players properly otherwise you end up like seth <laughs> uh next question sebastian tans okay we know the nine most powerful cards in magic's history so i wonder uh what would your power 15 to 20 be or something like that maybe we can do a whole podcast of that but uh let's choose one card to put on that list so non-power power uh probably basically Number one, number one is probably Soul Ring. I think Soul Ring is actually more powerful than a lot of the cards that are Power Nine. Uh, we can go with our friend Jace, the Mind Sculptor. I think he's up there. That's a uh, good one. Lion's Eye Diamond, I think, is is up <laughs> that's, there. That's mostly funny because at the time people thought it was horrible when it first came out. It was like I think it was actually picked by one of those old magazines as the literal worst card in Mirage. <laughs> I actually remember as a kid proxying over Lion's Eye Diamonds. <laughs> I, I remember this distinctly. We're like, what is the point of this card? <laughs> like, and we would just write over it like <laughs> counterspell because you know we did have counterspells for some reason. And uh, I think back and I'm like, oh, oops, uh, oops. <laughs> Uh, next question, J Mars Bars, are the new MTGO decklists reporting screwing up the metagame numbers on Goldfish? Uh, not, not really. I mean, they just come out more or less frequently, but the metagame numbers and stuff should be calculated correctly. Uh, next question, SSBM Aggie, what happened to Chaz? His Twitter is gone and the podcast seems a bit lonely. Uh, the podcast is missing the third person dynamic, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, well, Chaz is doing his real life stuff. I'm not sure about his Twitter. Uh, I, I actually honestly did not realize that his Twitter was gone until this question came up and I checked. So I'll have to uh, have to ask him about it, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, next question, Random Dark Rider. What do you guys think about Guided Passage? What is, guided... is that the redirect damage? Guided Passage is Grix, uh, Teamer Colors? Teamer Grixis Colors, I think. And your opponent has to search your library for an artifact, a creature, an enchantment, and a land, something like that. And then you get the ones that they choose. Am I close? Yes. I, no, no. So, from among them, a creature, a land, a non-creature, a non-land. And okay. then you just put the cards in your hand. 
Right, your opponent chooses them, yep. though, and then they go to your hand. Okay, I was I was kind of close. It's really sweet. There was at one point a legacy deck built around it, which I thought was uh, was pretty spicy. It's, I don't know. I don't know where you play it is the problem. Like, in Commander, you have so many one-ofs in your deck, it should be pretty easy for your opponent to choose bad ones. Although, maybe you can use it politically. It seems like a cool team-up to find an answer to a specific problem card if you can kind of, like, do the politics correctly. So, uh, maybe I'll have to try it in Commander, because it does sound like it could be fun. Yeah, I think it can be pretty powerful in Commander, because, like you said, need a Wrath while you Guided Passage... And your your quote unquote opponent will give you a wrath and like three garbage cards. So it's actually it's actually pretty good. I actually want to try this in Commander. See how it goes. It's Teamer though. I don't I don't like playing Teamer in Commander. Um, next question: Assault Priest. Is there a possibility that someone from the Commander Clash group is joining an episode once in a while? Of course, except you, Richard. Why not me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we gotta figure out the third person thing. That's the second fish mail this week. We gotta, we gotta figure out a third person for the podcast, but maybe having Tomer or Jen or Tom jump on for a guest spot could be cool. Yeah. Uh, one epic pug. It seems like reprints are happening faster and faster. Has a card still in standard ever been reprinted in a master set prior to Masters 25? What should we make of this? I'm willing to write it off as just weirdness caused by the we gotta have something from every set rule. Because it's never happened before, but it is true that it seems like master sets are getting more recent. It used to be like you could kind of like set your watch by it. They would tell you ahead of time, like mas- mod- uh, Modern Masters 2 from this set to this set. And it was usually at least like three years after a card had rotated out of standard. So it seems like they are printing more recent cards, but I don't expect standard reprints to really be the norm. I think that's just weirdness because of the specific rules of Masters 25. All right. The Ornery Ocelot. Will we see Challenger decks on Moto? If so, what do you think it'll do to the economy? Did they ever make an announcement about this? Uh, I do not know if it was announced. I'm under the impression that they won't be. They don't really, they don't typically sell precon decks on Moto at this point. But uh, if if they did, it would have a huge impact on the economy. If you could just get a Chandra and a Hazaret for thirty bucks out of the store compared to paying what they are right now. But I don't expect that they'll be on Magic Online. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't expect them to be, but I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, literally, if you just sign up for a Magic Online account, how do you get a deck from the get-go? And this is the only official way if they actually do it. Otherwise, you know, you got to go to the bots and stuff. And it just seems much easier if they just send them to the store and tell them to buy Hazaret Red or whatever. Yeah, it would simplify things. Uh, next question, LJB FGC. Suppose you had a chance to finish the Lorwyn Dual Land cycle. Uh, revealed creature type or the land enters the battlefield tapped. The remaining color combinations are green-red, green-white, blue-red, black-white, green-blue. Which creature types would you pick? Oh, man. So they're not just enemy or ally colors or a mixture? I'm not... Well, let's go one by one. All right, green-red. Green-red... Uh, oh, God. Uh, 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 shaman. Giants? Ooh, Giants is... 
Are they green giants? Yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm not a hundred percent sure. The, the cord, <laughs> the green giant. <laughs> uh, I'm well, gonna say shaman. All right, green white cats. Ooh, yeah, that cats is a good one. Or humans, maybe from Innistrad, but cats that might be. Too good. <laughs> well, you can choose humans for any of these. You can't choose humans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just say humans every time. <laughs> uh, blue red. Uh, weird. <laughs> How many of those do we actually have? Probably like five. <laughs> All right. Uh, black, white. Uh, spirits, vampires. Yeah, I think tokens, but probably vampires now because of Ixalan. I wonder why they didn't make those. Like one of the downsides of the the tribes in standard is their mana is bad. I kind of wish they had made those for the tribes from Ixalan. Yep. Uh, green, blue. Last one. Uh. Uh, elves? What? Maybe there's not blue elves. Oh, I mean, merfolk is the easy Mer- answer, yeah. but uh, there's, there's no more. There's no actual iconic tribe from green and blue. Maybe yeah. mutant. Oh, mutant's a good option. I like that. All right. This this was great design to search five. Thank you very <laughs> much. Uh, B M Sullivan. When is the optimal time to buy staples that are re- being that are being reprinted in a master set? Looking to pick up Vendillion clicks. Ooh, well, typically somewhere between like a couple months after set release and maybe six months after set release, but we'll see. Uh, things change a little bit with Iconic Masters being in Walmart and stuff like that, and prices aren't recovering as quickly, so it might be longer now with some of the changes they've made. But typically wait a couple months after set release for prices to drop. Also from Brian, uh, one of our inexcusable excludes we totally forgot about, no creature lands from Worldwake in Masters 25. Colonnades are getting expensive. Any chance we see a reprint on the horizon, and how much do you expect them to drop if they were reprinted? Well, it depends on where they're reprinted. I was wondering about this other day. Do you think they're just too good for standard, Richard? Could they reprint those in, like, the core set? Or are they... I mean, we just had the Zendikar ones. Like, are they... Are the original ones too powerful? I don't see why they'd be too powerful. I mean, if you include some field of ruin type card or something i don't they're just creatures on lands so i I think they're perfectly fine for standard well i mean that would be the best outcome is if they show up in the core set or something that would be sweet and generate a lot of hype and that would really bring the prices down if they showed up in the master set they might lose i don't know half of their value or something which means colonnade is still going to be 40 bucks or something ridiculous but if they showed up uh in standard then you're looking at 10 bucks or 15 bucks all right, next question. V guess S. Have you tried peanut butter on toast with melted cheese on top? It's really good. That doesn't sound really good to me. So no, I haven't tried it. That actually sounds gross, but now we gotta try it because it's really good. But the question is, what kind of cheese? Are we that talking a... about like craft cheese slices? <laughs> are we talking about like actual cheese? Like where where are we on this? Yeah, the cheese seems. I mean, I don't know if I can think of any cheese that would make me want to try that, but it does seem like the cheese is probably important. Cheese whiz, maybe. <laughs> Just stir up the peanut butter and cheese whiz and oh, go to town. I, I actually kind of want to try that. Does it sound, <laughs> does it sound too bad? <laughs> uh. All right. Also from Vegas, Vegas S, a non-peanut butter and cheese question. What is the most magical experience you've had playing Magic? Oh, wow. Jeez, uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Do you know, Richard? Magical? I don't I don't know. 
I can't think of any. It's, yeah, it's probably something, for me, it's probably something on Magic Online, which isn't, like, magical compared to playing face-to-face. I'm so, I think there's probably something cool from when I first started playing and was playing casually, like, oh, the, the first time I actually... I actually won, or the first time I, I eon storm someone or something, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. All right. Uh, next question. Nick Cheesy, do you think Deathrite Shaman should be banned in Legacy? Yes. I mean, I don't play Legacy that much, so I probably shouldn't have an opinion, but based on watching some Legacy over the weekend at SCG, it seems like Deathrite Shaman probably probably should go. I don't know how you make an argument for banning stuff, given that there are cards that blatantly should be banned but are not. Like, say, Brainstorm. <laughs> so, like, at what point is it a pillar of the format versus it's oppressive? And I, I don't know the answer to that. But Deathrite Shaman is really, really good. But it's yeah. also a mana dork, so I, I don't know. It's actually interesting you mentioned that. Uh, they did an interview, I think it was with Bob Wong at that CG event, and he's a big, big proponent of banning Deathrite Shaman, and he writes articles about it and said that in the interview. But he also said, which kind of goes with what you were saying, is basically, like, Brainstorm is the real thing that should be banned. Like, Deathrite should be banned, but he said six months from now, people are still going to figure out a fair Brainstorm deck, and it's still going to be the best deck in the format, so if I had my choice, I I don't know if anyone will do this, because it's so, like, it, synonymous with the format, but I think that if you really wanted to make Legacy the Wild West again, where anything goes, that Brainstorm should be banned. If they ban Brainstorm, Legacy would be so weird. It's like inventing a new format overnight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question. Per automatic, how long does it take for rotated standard sets to settle in value? Thinking of when the sweet jank for my future commander deck is ripe in price. Uh, so, depends on the style of cards. Casual cards usually rebound quicker. And often, it's been a couple years since I've researched this, so uh, maybe I should renew this research, but typically the summer before the rotation up through a couple months after rotation is when commander cards would hit their floor and be the lowest and then start to recover maybe six months to a year after rotation. All right, last question, also from Per Automatic. Uh, Seth said the worst constructed set of all time. Wait, once said... Oh, once said when asked, the worst constructed set of all time, except mentioning alliances, he mentioned Legion and Odyssey. How come? To me, uh, the sets were... The sets had very synergistic mechanics. Uh, I said that? Uh, did you say that? <laughs> I mean, I might have. That, I say a lot of things between the streams and podcasts, so that uh, it does sound like something I may have said. So Legions, I think, was odd because it was only creatures, and uh, I think that that... I, in, in my defense, I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who started playing after those sets, so it's not like I was playing standard. Maybe they have the greatest standard format and I didn't hear about it or didn't play because I wasn't playing then, but Legions was all creatures, and I think that the restriction of being weighted so oddly in colors was weird with Odyssey. I never played any of these sets. I have no idea. 
I do not. <laughs> Seth's opinions do not necessarily agree with mine. I don't know. <laughs> he started playing Drake Theros. What does he know about Legion oh, Odyssey, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I thought we were going to make it through an entire podcast without any Seth Theros jokes, but... It, this doesn't make any sense, Seth. You started Drake Theros. <laughs> Just had to sneak it in. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I talk to players, and then, like, I started playing Drake Theros, and I think they're just, like, memeing or joking. <laughs> <laughs> And then I'm like, wait, wait, they're serious, wait. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with Theros, you could, uh... What was the mechanic in Theros? I think of Heroic. Oh, Heroic, yeah, Heroic. That's that's the one, was that also Bestow? Oh, yes, the enchantment, the uh, enchantment auras. Those are the the two that I remember. It's a good set. Hundred-handed one, your favorite card of all time, (laughs) (laughs) so... It's good at blocking. So Actually, good. I don't even like Theros that much, which makes what? the the Seth started at Theros joke even worse. Like it's fine, but if I was gonna pick a modern set that I liked, it would probably be like Return to Ravnica or Khans over Theros. Those are too powerful and not janky enough, Seth. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, that's all for Fishmail. Thank you everyone for sending them in. Uh, remember, you can send them to the hashtag #MDGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. All right, well, thank you everyone for tuning in i guess this brings us to the end of episode 162 of the mtg goldfish podcast so until next week this is the crew signing out